Welcome to Stack Trace, the podcast that is all about life and technology from two developers' perspectives. And this week, it's also about an Apple event. Apple's just recently broadcasted peak performance event that we, at the time of recording, watched last night. So we're going to share our first initial impressions reactions, and what we think was exciting from the event that just happened. And who are these we then when it's me, John Sundell, and my good friend, Mr. Guy Rambo? How's it going, Mr. Rambo? I'm great, John. I do have a very important correction to make here, because you said we watched it last night. I watched it last afternoon. Ah, <laughs> uh, of course, yes. You should never say any concrete times or time of the year or anything like that when speaking to an international audience, right? Like yeah. we talked about it last episode, I can't even say summer because summer for me is winter for you and morning <laughs> for me is the night for you and so on and so forth, right? So yeah, let's just say we watched it at a time when it was broadcasted. <laughs> There was actually a little funny thing that happened yesterday while I was preparing to watch the event. So usually Apple events are at uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time, which for me is usually 2 p.m., And I think they're in daylight savings or something, uh, because yesterday the event actually started at 3 p.m. for me. So I was actually getting ready to watch it at 2 p.m. <laughs> And then I realized, oh, wait, it's actually 3 p.m. I have <laughs> another hour to, to wait. Uh, so I just kept working. <laughs> so you had your popcorn ready to go, your uh, beverage ready and everything. And you're like, ah, it's like showing up to the movie theater one hour too early. Yeah, kind of like that. But I actually didn't get my beverage before then. So uh, my beverage was safe. Okay, good to hear. It's, it's important that your beverage is safe, Rambo. That is a very important concern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I think a good place to start. There was a, a lot of interesting news here being shared by Apple during this event, and we're, of course, going to talk about it, but... Let's start with our poker results. Oh, uh, God. Which, <laughs> yeah, was it a poker or was it a catastrophe? Let's, let's find out. So the first thing that we were betting on was that there would be a new Mac model. And you thought that would happen. I thought it wouldn't happen. And it actually happened. We got the Mac Studio, which we'll talk more about later. Mm -hmm. Really interesting new Mac there. Uh, but then there was uh, two uh, bets which didn't happen. The first one was that we thought there would be an, a Mac Mini with an M2 and a MacBook Air with a significant design change. And we also mentioned an M2 there as well. And those two things didn't happen. Uh, we did get an iPhone SE, though, with the same design as before, a new chip and 5G capabilities. And yeah, that happened, so... We got some points there, at least. <laughs> uh, there was no classical music service from Apple that you were betting on, and I gave it a one, but still didn't happen, so still a minus one there for me. Uh, we did get an iPad Air, though. That was another one of those uh, bets that did happen, and it was the same story there, really. Same design, new chip, 5G. And uh, we did get center stage on the Mac, which you were betting on and I didn't think was going to happen. Um This one was a little bit like I had to think about whether or not to, to award you those points because mm. it's not technically in a Mac, right? It's in the studio display, their center stage. But the way Apple phrased it during the event was that they said center stage is coming to the Mac for the first time, right? So since they phrased it that way, since they're mm -hmm. viewing it as part of the Mac lineup, which makes a lot of sense because you're presumably going to connect the studio display to a Mac... I think this one counts, even though, actually, I'm getting minus points for it. 
Yeah, I I was under the impression I wouldn't get that one, but you convinced me <laughs> that I was right. <laughs> yeah, it was Apple's phrasing there, I think, really was what kind of convinced me, is that since they phrased it that way, which I know is just kind of marketing, but still, you know, that's I think that's what we have to go on when we score these things. Yeah, and there's an important distinction as well uh, that I think uh, sums it up really well, that center stage doesn't work on iOS if you use this display, so... If you connect it to an iPad, you won't you won't be able to use the camera at all. You're you're only gonna be using it as a regular display. So it really is center stage for the Mac, even though it's not built into an actual Mac device. Yeah, exactly. So we have three more bets to go, and the next one was another M2 based bet, which we didn't get, uh-huh. of course, because there was no M2, and that was was that we thought that there would be a new entry level MacBook Pro with an M2, but no, that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, the next one was another one that was a little bit tricky for me to score, and that was that you were basing your all-in bet on that there would be an iOS 15.4 or macOS demo. I didn't give you those points, and I also lost points for that as well. And the reason was, even though there was some recap of iOS features, it wasn't specifically like, here's what's new in the new version of iOS. It was more like a general recap of, here's a couple of iOS features for your new iPhone. Uh, or what do you think, Rambo? Do you agree with my decision there? Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Uh, I don't think I get those points because I was betting on a demo of center stage, uh, not center stage, a demo of like universal control or unlocking with a mask with Face ID or something like that. And exactly. there was no demo at all, basically. So I don't get those points. Right. And I don't get those points either. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, uh, my all-in bet was that there would be a Mac Mini with the M1 Pro or M1 Max. Uh, we did get a new computer with M1 Max, but not a Mac Mini. <laughs> so also lost those points. So as you can probably tell here, we didn't do great. <laughs> like they, we, we lost a lot of points. We didn't gain a lot of points, which means... Well, we ended up with minus points. Uh, Rambo, you got minus nine. Wow. I think, I mean, minus is minus, right? It's not great, but (laughs) it's not the lowest score that we've ever recorded on this podcast. So at least that's something. Uh, I got, though, minus 16. So yeah, not great. Uh, This was not a good poker game for me or for you. You did win, so congratulations. But, you know... I, I think it's fair to say that I lost more than you rather than you won, right? <laughs> yeah, we're both in debt, but I think you're closer to declaring poker bankruptcy. <laughs> That's right. Thankfully, the minus points don't carry over to the next game. So I get to start fresh the next yeah. time, which is great. <laughs> so I think looking at our bets here and what actually happened, I think there is an interesting pattern. And that is that we were clearly expecting M2, right? We were clearly expecting uh, this to be an event where we would see a refresh of the original batch of Apple Silicon Macs with the M2 instead of the M1. But looking now at what actually happened, I think it's fair to say that we were kind of misunderstanding how Apple is approaching the migration to Apple Silicon and the kind of continued evolution of Apple Silicon on the Mac. I think we were kind of looking at it similar to how they are evolving the A series of chips on iOS, where every year there's kind of the steady increment of the A series of chips. There's the A13, A14, A15, and so on. And everything is kind of refreshed according to that schedule. But on the Mac, it seems, at least now with this initial kind of 
migration from Intel to Apple Silicon, it seems like Apple is aiming to kind of complete the transition first with all the machines and then start incrementing and going to M2, M3, M4. And looking at that, you know, that makes total sense, I think. I think in hindsight, everything makes sense, right? (laughs) And it seems like, especially given the hint that John Turner's made there at the end where he said, we're almost done with the transition. It's just one machine left, the Mac Pro. I think it seems like that's Apple's strategy here, that we won't see the M2 until the actual Apple Silicon transition is complete. Or what do you think, Rambo? I don't necessarily agree. Uh, I think a lot of what we're seeing is also a product of the chip situation. I would say maybe even M1 on iPad Air could be something like that, where they wanted to call it A15 or, or put the A15 in there, but they had extra M1s laying around, <laughs> so they just put it in there. Just put it in there. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like we could see maybe the Mac Pro starting out on M2 already. And I do see why they could be holding the M2 announcement until, like you mentioned, they have all of the lineup moved over. So it would be weird, like I mentioned during our discussions before, for them to announce the M2 chip in entry-level machines while still having the M1, uh, even though technically a better M1 because it would be the Max, the Pro, whatever, in... uh, other machines, uh, more pro-level machines. Uh, I don't feel that's something that holds Apple back. I I don't think that's like the main motivator. I think what's going on is they just need more time to to get things going. And especially given what he said about the Mac Pro, which was really shocking because this is something Apple simply does not do. Like this is not something you expect from an Apple event for them to say, oh, and hang on, we're going to be updating. It's kind of like the after credits thing in in Marvel movies where they say like, oh, Spider-Man will be back. (laughs) (laughs) So Mac Pro will be back. Um, So yeah, I, I think it's interesting that they said that. And I'm feeling that we might see something at DubDub about that. Um... At the end of the day, I feel like maybe we were expecting too much from a March event because March slash April events are usually not that big uh, with Apple. So I think maybe we had our expectations a bit too high. I don't think it's it's weird to assume that M2 is right around the corner because as I reminded our, our listeners last week, M2 is A15 and A15 was released in late 2021. So I think it's safe to assume that M2 is coming this year or maybe like during DubDub or in the fall uh, sometime during this year. So I don't feel like it's too much to ask to see M2 still during this year. But again, there's the whole world situation. So who knows how that's playing into it. But I think... I think there's going to be something, uh, maybe until DubDub or during DubDub, at least an announcement. Yeah, I think you're right that it's possible that they might have adjusted their plans, uh, especially given that they added the M1 to the iPad Air. It could also just have been the plan all along where 
all the iPads are going to get the M series of chips or maybe like all except for the base iPad or the iPad mini and so on. Um, but it is interesting to look at it. But I think also the situation that we have now does make more sense from a just kind of simpler messaging perspective. Like you mentioned there earlier, you would have to do some explaining around like how come we're introducing a new M1 based chip when there's already an M2. <laughs> uh, yeah. When you just like do all the M1s first and then you go to M2, it's like a little bit simpler just from a kind of messaging perspective, I think. Yeah, so let's say they have a Mac Pro with uh, the M2 chip or a, I don't know, a M2 Ultra, M2 Extreme or whatever. Uh, and they feel like they are able to announce that at WWDC. Not that they're going to ship it at WWDC, but maybe like uh, it's shipping in December or whatever, which they've done before. And, and I think WW audience is fine with that sort of announcement. And, and we're used to it, especially with the Mac Pro and things like that. So if they feel confident about being able to announce uh, an M2 Mac Pro with a, a beefed up M2 at WWDC, maybe then is when they're going to announce the whole M2 lineup and start releasing the first Macs with it. Yeah, I think that would make a ton of sense. Again, from just a messaging perspective, it's like it gives you that clean kind of breaking off point where it's like, Here's the end of the M1-based rollout, and now starts the M2-based rollout. And again, that's why I feel like we were perhaps looking at it a little bit much too much as the iPhone kind of continued evolution with Apple Silicon, where there's this more steady cadence year after year where we increment the integer after the A letter, and then we get those new chips. But with the Mac, at least initially now, during this initial migration, it might just be a little bit more complicated, or it might be just that... You know, we complete the M1 rollout first, and then we go to M2. But that's all for the future. We'll see what's going to happen. Regardless, it's really exciting. Like, yeah, not to get too far ahead here in our discussion, but, you know, when we go to those uh, M1 or Apple Silicon kind of deep dives, it's part of the presentation, and you get to see those numbers, and you get to see, like, how they're actually scaling up the M1 architecture. It's just really, really exciting to be a Mac user uh, in this time, I think. it's There's so many exciting things going on with Apple Silicon. Yeah, I could definitely have watched only the second part of the event and I would have been super happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But let's let's talk about the first half as well, just kind of a little bit faster before we get into the what I think most, most of us are like the most excited about, which is the second half, like we yeah. just mentioned. Gotta have our salad first before we eat dessert. <laughs> exactly. So we started the event with uh, some Apple TV news. There was a movie reel with some movie news, and also they emphasized that we're not just doing uh, original TV shows, but also original movies as well, which typically I, I think is just Apple kind of buying rights to movies and then broadcasting them on Apple TV. Uh, I think some of the movies they are funding from scratch as well. I think it's a little bit of a mix, but uh, it's it's cool to see that they're doing more of an investment into movies as well as TV shows. Even though I think for me, like streaming, when I think about streaming video, I think more about TV shows and that kind of watching week after week. Uh, but it is really nice to see the movies as well. And there was also uh, some baseball news as well, which I know nothing about baseball. So I think we can just skip that part. Or what do you say? I mean, we have a person from Poland and a person from Brazil in this chat. Uh, I don't think any one of us is really into baseball. So, yeah, uh, not really a thing for any of us. But 
I do think we had as one of the options in in our list of picks that there would be some sort of sports related announcement for TV Plus. Yeah, exactly. And it makes sense for them to get into that as well. I think the more they can make Apple TV Plus a more kind of, you know, rounded service that has a lot of offerings in different categories, sports, you know, um, TV shows, movies and so on, the more they will attract different users and, and people watching kind of week after week. So I think that's really great. And it's just nice also. I'm happy that they've kind of replaced the store or retail update with Apple TV trailers. That's way more exciting for me. Yeah, way better than customer set is off the charts and sales numbers and things like that. Uh, you mentioned thinking more about series uh, when watching uh, streaming fr- from these uh, services. I have watched a few movies on Apple TV+, and uh, if our listeners haven't checked out some of the movies in there, I do recommend checking them out. Uh, One that I remember enjoying a lot was The Banker that came out in in 2020, and it's on on TV+. That was a really, really good movie and, and inspired by true events. Nice, yeah, I'll check it out. I don't think I've seen any of the Apple TV movies yet, but I've been following almost all of the TV shows. So yeah, maybe one day. I'm I'm definitely more of a TV show person these days. Like it's it's sometimes hard for me to just feel like I want to sit down and watch a whole movie for multiple hours, even though I would gladly watch like three episodes <laughs> in a row, which is kind of the same time commitment. But it feels at least like less of a commitment when you start. I have kind of the opposite problem in a sense because these days when I open Netflix on on my TV, which I don't do that often anymore. Because, yeah, TV Plus is what I've been watching, the the series there and all of that. But when I open Netflix and I browse through what they're offering me, I will often like the concept of what I'm seeing, but then I, I check it and it's a series, but I actually wanted a movie. Like, oh, this feels like a great concept or great plot for a movie, but a whole series? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends on what you're in the yeah, mood for. Definitely. Cool. So next up, we had a new iPhone 13 color. So green for the base iPhone 13 and Alpine green for the Pro models. Uh, I, th- I think this is becoming a bit of a pattern, right? That kind of mid-cycle, they introduce a new color. Yeah, I think it's a good way to boost sales. And I do know of a few people who actually hold to buy new iPhones because they want to see the new colors before they decide. So it's definitely something that people are already aware of, at least people who follow Apple more closely. And it's definitely something that helps with sales numbers. Yeah, it's it's always nice to kind of introduce something that looks different, right? Like to kind of just inject some new energy into this product after it's become kind of quote-unquote old news, even though it was just introduced a few months ago. (laughs) Yeah, and it kind of becomes a special edition in a sense because you're going to see it more rarely since it came out later and probably fewer people are going to get the different colors. So it's definitely a good strategy for Apple. Yeah, makes sense. And next up then, speaking of iPhones, we have the new iPhone SE, which... uh, One of the bets that we did get was around this new product, uh, which was, like we uh, suspected, it uh, has the same design as before, but it uses a new screen glass that is more durable. It has 5G connectivity, the A15 Bionic, and an improved camera system. So, what do you think about this uh, new iPhone SE launch? Uh, Was it kind of 
it was what we expected more or less, but what do you think now that you've actually seen it? Uh, you haven't seen the product, but the announcement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think people should stop expecting anything from iPhone SE other than iPhone SE. Like, it is what it is. It's the iPhone for people who just want an iPhone with a home button. They're used to it. They don't want to spend too much money, although it did get a little bit more expensive uh, in the US and probably everywhere, certainly everywhere. But that's what it is. And I think it's a great product. It's not just because it didn't change externally, although the glass did change, but you can't really see it. But it's the affordable, and I'm making air quotes here, but it's the only, quote, affordable iPhone that Apple offers. And I think it's great that this product exists. It's a great gift, especially for parents, grandparents, people who have maybe an iPhone, but they don't want to learn how to use Face ID or they don't like Face ID. They don't need any of the fancy cameras or U1 chip or whatever. So I think it's great that this product exists and that Apple keeps updating it, but you should never expect anything more than what we got, which was chip updates and also baseband updates, so 5G and, and things like that. So that, that's what you should expect from an iPhone SE. And, that, and that's what we got, but we did get a little bit more than I was expecting. And I didn't realize that by going to A15, you get the ISP from the A15, which means you get things like the photographic styles. That's not a camera thing, that's an ISP thing. So you get a few of the more advanced camera features from the top-of-the-line iPhones in the entry-level iPhone SE, and that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the the kind of messaging around the iPhone SE was very clear in this event. Tim even said that it's like our latest technology, but in a more affordable package, right? Yeah. And it seems very much like they're targeting this to people who are either upgrading from older iPhones or people who want just a smaller iPhone. So I think what you just said there is absolutely right. It's that it's not the iPhone and it has never been the iPhone for people who want like, you know, the latest kind of design and the latest features, but rather like a future-proof, nice phone that is like not five years old or something, but it has like the latest chips in it. But it's just a form factor that you can recognize. It's something that you don't have to learn something new if you're not interested in phones or if you just want to spend a little bit less on your phone. Like, I think those are all good reasons to get the iPhone SE. In fact, I've recommended it to several like family members and, and people I know who aren't interested in technology like that. They, like, they just want a new iPhone and they ask me, which one should I get? And rather than saying like, go and get the iPhone 13 Pro, which, you know, it's uh, much more expensive and it has a lot of features that they wouldn't really care for. Like, just get the iPhone SE. It's great. It's like thin and light it's uh, it's more affordable and it has all the greatest technologies in it. Yeah, I have an example in my family. Uh, my brother, he and he's like an electronics engineer, so he he is into tech, but he is simple with his uh, phone, uh, and he uses the iPad as well. So he he likes Apple stuff, and I recommended to him the original iPhone SE. So the the iPhone 5 like iPhone SE way back in the day I think it was his first iPhone back then and then later uh, he wanted to ha get a new iPhone so I recommended him the iPhone 8 I think back then the iPhone 8 was the latest one and the iPhone 10 he got the iPhone 8 and I think like maybe last year or 2020 
he was looking to get a new iPhone and I recommended the iPhone SE, the new one, and he got that one. So probably he's going to be getting this new iPhone SE at some point. And I like that they actually called out uh, at the end there and it's going to get software updates for years to come. So yeah, it's the iPhone for people who want a classic, the simple but they don't want to compromise on performance, battery life, and software update availability. I think it's a great product. Uh, there's a lot of people in my life that I would recommend get an iPhone SE, and there's definitely a lot of people out there who are going to be extremely happy with this iPhone SE. Yeah, absolutely. I think that trade-off there that you make when you buy an older product, like if you buy an iPhone 7 now or iPhone 8 or something like that, is that it's not going to get so many more software updates. But if you buy this one, you get that same form factor, but then you have so much more longevity and you're really future-proofing your device. So I always recommend the iPhone SE. If someone wants something that's a little bit more simpler or like a recognizable form factor, I always recommend the iPhone SE over an older iPhone like the iPhone 8, for example. By the way, hashtag John was right because you mentioned how much time they could spend just talking about the same stuff, like the A15 and the <laughs> ISP. And, and I was really surprised at how long they stretched out that iPhone SE segment and, and the iPad Air segment as well. But it, but it also makes sense because we know what the A15 can do, but I think most people don't think about, oh, it has an A15. They just think it's an iPhone SE, right? And what goes yeah. on under the hood inside of the chip there. Like, it's not so important, but what's important is what can I do with it as a user? So they focused on kind of the the user stories, right? Like, what can you actually do with this? And I think that also makes a ton of sense when you're introducing a new product, even if that product is running a chip that we already knew about. Yeah, it's something tech reviewers, many tech reviewers miss when doing their reviews. And I think some some of them do a really good job. I think John Gruber always mentions this and also MKBHD where we as tech people, we are always like diffing against the previous commit. So we're diffing <laughs> against the, the last year device, last year's device, or in this case, the previous generation. But most people, when they get a new device like this, they are getting a, a new device after they've been using an iPhone for, from like five years ago or something, or three years ago or something like that. So for them... All of this stuff that we think is boring and, oh, this is already in the iPhone 13, what are you talking about? For these people, it's completely new. So it's important that Apple highlights these features. Yeah, and, you know, I'm one of those people. Like, I upgraded <laughs> from an iPhone 10 to an iPhone 13 Pro, right? Like, I don't buy a new iPhone every year, even though, of course, I keep up with the news, so I know what the A15 is, right? So, yeah, I'm not completely like that kind of customer, but... In terms of my actual purchases, I am kind of that customer. <laughs> yeah. This week's episode of Stack Trace is brought to you by A-Logic and its new line of journey cases for iPhone. Designed to protect your devices, the new journey lineup of iPhone cases can withstand falls of up to 6 feet or 1.5 meters. They are also designed to age beautifully with high-quality leather that gets softer over time and gains a patina that gives each case a unique look. These cases include very minimal branding for a clean and modern look. At just 0.07 inches at its edge, 
A-Logic's new Journey cases offer some of the slimmest leather options on the market. They also include a built-in array of magnets that conform to Apple's MagSafe standards for a seamless experience with all MagSafe accessories. As a Stacktrace listener, you'll get a 10% discount on A-Logic's new Journey cases for iPhone for a limited time when using the special code JOURNEY10. Once again, the special code is JOURNEY10 and the link to check out these new cases will be in the show notes as well. Thanks a lot to A-Logic for sponsoring this episode of Stacktrace. All right, so we mentioned the new iPad Air as well, which uh, follows a similar pattern. It's being upgraded with a new chip. We did get the M1, though, which uh, hashtag Rambo was wrong. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, you thought that we wouldn't get the M1. And I, I share that opinion. I thought also that they would probably reserve that for the kind of more higher-end iPads and the Macs. But still, we have the iPad Air running the M1, 5G connectivity, a new 12-megapixel ultra-wide camera with center stage. So that was the new iPad Air updates. We had the same design, but with new colors. So what do you think? It's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I, I did say to you, I think hashtag Rambo was wrong yesterday during the event uh, because I, I really didn't feel like they would want to add the M1 chip to an iPad Air. But yeah, I was wrong, I guess. They are fine with that. And I did see a few people uh, quite shocked and, and saying things to the effect of, but what's better about the iPad Pro now? And I think there's still quite a bit of stuff in the iPad Pro, like it has ProMotion, the bigger version has the mini LED display, it has Face ID, so uh, the better cameras, LiDAR. So I, I think there's still more stuff in the iPad Pro, enough where it deserves to be called Pro while the iPad Air is the Air. And who knows, they are probably going to update the iPad Pro maybe this year, maybe next year, uh, with more, even more stuff to differentiate it from the iPad Air. Yeah, absolutely. And when you have this kind of rollout or release cycle that Apple has, where not every product is being updated at the same time, except for the iPhones, apart from the iPhone SE, you always end up with these situations where... Because they're out of sync, the lower-end devices get upgraded to the same internals as the high-end ones, and then they look very similar, but then the high-end ones get upgraded maybe six months later or something, and then that gap is widened again, right? So yeah. this is very, very common. But at the same time, like if you look at the difference between the iPad Air and the iPad Pro, it's kind of similar as between the difference between the iPhone Pros and the iPhone non-Pros, right? Where they also mm -hmm. run the same chip, but they have other features that differentiate them, the camera system, the screen, and so on. And here you have a very similar kind of setup where the difference is similar. It's not the chip that is the differentiator, it's the other kinds of features. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I don't think the chip necessarily is going to be the differentiator here. And Again, if you start to spec up an iPad Air and you add like a keyboard and you add a bunch of storage, it, in terms of price, it gets into iPad Pro territory quite quickly. And what better competition to have than yourself when you're Apple? Like right. if, <laughs> if the iPad Air is the best competitor to the iPad Pro on the market, well, great. <laughs> I, I don't think Apple is going to be mad about it. Uh, of course, they would prefer 
if everyone would buy the iPad Pro top of the line maxed out, but they know that that's not how the market works. So it's great that they are making it harder for themselves to sell the iPad Pro to people. Since, let's be honest, is there any other tablet on the market worth mentioning at all? Unless it's like for a child or something. I guess maybe the the Microsoft Surface, but that's that's not really like iPad-like in a sense. And it's to the point where I, I consume some some content uh, on like YouTube and TikTok and whatnot, and people just call any tablet iPad because it's become like like Band Aid or something. It's uh, or like Google, like searching yeah. the internet is Googling. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, for some people, iPad is the name of this type of device. Uh, to it, It's gotten to that point with how big the iPad is compared to the competition that it doesn't really have. So, yeah, uh, it's great that Apple is uh, competing with themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point also, it has happened multiple times for me that I've gone to some event. And when you go to the event, you need to sign in using a tablet. And the host at the door says like, oh, can you please sign in on the iPad? And you go over to that tablet, but it's actually an Android tablet. And that's the only time when I see Android tablets in the wild is that they're used for some kind of, you know, sign in at some desk. Or like when I go to the grocery store, I put in my a car registration number into an Android tablet to get like free parking. Like th- those kinds of use cases are what I'm mostly seeing Android tablets for. Uh, the rest is all just iPad as, as far as I can tell. And it's you're absolutely true. Like that really emphasizes that people still call tablets that are not iPads, iPads. <laughs> yeah, I've seen uh, the funniest one I've seen recently was a screenshot from a Facebook group or something. Uh, someone was asking... So uh, I want to get an iPad. Which brand should I get? <laughs> and then <laughs> someone replied, Apple. <laughs> exactly. I hear that the Samsung iPads are really good these days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just another quick comment there on the kind of M1 there. Like, how come the iPad Air is running the M1? And I think part of it could be, like you mentioned, because of supply constraints and the ship shortage that's going on. Maybe it was just simpler for them to just keep manufacturing a lot of M1s and put that in the iPad Air. Another thing could just be about marketing because the M1 has gotten so much positive coverage over the last one and a half years since it was announced. And in general, there's just so much excitement around M1. I almost feel like they might have a problem once they go to M2 because Uh M1 has become such a strong brand. Uh, Of course, M2 will also probably be amazing, so that probably won't be a problem. But I think that might also have... um, gone into this decision to say, well, the M1 is just a good brand and people are going to be so excited about it. So let's just put in the iPad Air as well. Yeah, yeah. I I think uh, I I joked that M stood for marketing. And of course, (laughs) it's not only that, but it's definitely part of it. Definitely. Like every decision, right? It's a combination between technology decisions, marketing decisions, and so on. Yeah. All right. So speaking of M1, let's talk about M1 Ultra. So everyone knows that if you're going to like ramp up something on a scale, you always go from no suffix to pro to max and then ultra. Because of course, ultra is more than maximum, right, Rambo? Yeah, of course. Uh, (laughs) Of course, it makes total sense. (laughs) I I was really (laughs) thinking about this because we knew there was going to be 
some sort of uh, dual M1 Max, uh, according to, to German, and according to him, also we'll get like a, a quad setup. So I was thinking, but Max is like the max like how do you go beyond max so i was thinking like m1 max duo and then m1 max quad or quadro or something like that <laughs> and um i guess it's m1 ultra and if they do the quad configuration will it be like the m1 extreme or, or something i don't know <laughs> the m1 max ultra extreme at the far end of the universe maximum supernova the M1 Red Bull. <laughs> Something like that. So, yeah, this is super exciting, right? That they have a new die-to-die connection technology. They call it Ultra Fusion, and they can use it to combine two M1 Max SOCs into one. And they were talking there about how it's not the same as kind of other technologies used to run two CPUs or two systems on a chip Together, this is a new technology that has a lot of advantages in terms of the bandwidth and how the two chips can interoperate, where as developers, we don't have to worry uh, if our software is running on one of these new chips. We don't have to like specifically say, dispatch this task onto the first processor or this one on the second processor. We can just keep writing our code like we've always done, and the system kind of takes care of it. And what's really cool about this is that since the kind of communication between these two chips, like these two M1 Max components of the uh, Ultra, uh, since that all happens on the system level, we also get more or less like double the performance metrics from the M1 Max. So on the Max, we can go up to 32 cores of GPU, which is what I have in my MacBook Pro. But here we can have 64, which is doubled. And the same thing with the RAM. We can go from 64 gigabytes of RAM to 128. And the same thing with like the CPU, the neural engine, and so on. So I just thought this was like really cool to see. It just further shows us just how scalable the M1 platform is for Apple and that they cannot just add more kind of transistors to the die and make the die bigger, but they can also combine them. And that I feel like is, is really taking this whole kind of setup to the next level. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's it's like you can get performance improvements in two ways in terms of the actual chip. Uh, and I'm simplifying, of course, because I'm not a chip designer, but you can make the actual cores better, more efficient, faster, etc. Or you can add more. And with most architectures, you can't just keep duplicating things it's not gonna work but apple has made it so they can at least to a certain point i guess i don't think we're going to see 10 m1 maxes fused together but rambo you can just copy and paste right it's the m1 copy paste (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh and uh the best thing about the way they've done it is this aspect where We as software developers, of course, you and me, we don't work on applications where this absurd amount of processing is required. But if you are developing very graphics-intensive software or or software that uses a bunch of uh, CPU cores, if you are targeting a system with uh, dual processors where there are actually separate chips on the motherboard, you usually have to do something about it in your code in order to take advantage of that. And of course, it's not magic in in Apple land. Like, you can't 
just do everything on the main thread and expect it to to just work. Uh, that there is some work you have to do, but there is no special consideration to be had in terms of supporting this dual configuration of the M1 Max to the point where uh, there is a, an engineer from the Apple Silicon Graphics uh, team at Apple that uh, who tweeted yesterday. There is only one metal device on M1 Ultra. So it's two M1 Maxes fused together, but there's, from the point of view of the software, it's one device. These are not two separate devices. <laughs> it's one device. <laughs> this is one GPU. Yeah. And that has so many benefits. And also, like thinking about this also from the software side, what a great timing to also have Swift's new concurrency system being rolled out at the same time, right? Oh, yeah. Where it just makes it so much easier now for us developers to actually utilize this kind of concurrency and these, you know, large amount of cores and large amount of parallelism that is available now on these chips. And of course, Metal has existed now for many years and is a great abstraction for the GPU side. And now we also have the same thing for the CPU side as well. So yeah, it's, I think it's really exciting and also like how we don't have to specifically write code that is going to be like, here's the code that targets 10 cores or here's the code that targets 20 cores. Like if you write your code with Swift concurrency and, and with kind of good practices when it comes to parallelism, of course, not overusing it either because that can also create a really complicated code, but making good use of it in tasks that can be parallelized, the system will kind of just take care of it and make sure it runs in a super scalable way which is just really great. Like, it feels like we can get kind of the best of both worlds here. We can speed up code on lower-end systems and also make it really scalable on higher-end systems as well. Yeah, definitely. This week's episode of Stacktrace is also sponsored by Kanji. Kanji is an Apple device management or MDM solution that's built exclusively for teams at organizations that use Apple devices. It's a modern cloud-based platform that lets you manage and secure your company's Macs, iPhones, iPads, and Apple TVs all centrally, which can save all sorts of IT teams countless of hours of having to repeatedly configure multiple devices manually. With features like one-click compliance templates and over 150 pre-built automation workflows. Recently, Kanji has also released three new core features, which include self-service, which is an app store-like app that gives end users access to a select library of applications and tools so that they can download what they need and when they need it without having to always ask the company's IT department about new apps and services. There's also Passport, which gives users a login experience that feels native to the Mac while still leveraging single sign-on credentials for a much more secure login and just a single password to remember for end users. Finally, there's Liftoff, which can help transform a newly unboxed Mac into an enterprise-ready computer with all of the right apps, settings, and security controls in place so that IT teams can now configure and deploy devices without ever touching them, which is pretty cool. So check out Kanji today using the link that's in the show notes. Thanks a lot to Kanji for sponsoring this week's episode of Stacktrace. So Apple, they spent uh, quite a lot of time talking about the M1 Ultra, but then they asked the question, so where are we going to use this chip, right? And that's, I feel like, where we get to the really interesting part, where we got, for the first time in quite a while, maybe it's even since the MacBook, like that MacBook Adorable was introduced 
quite a long time ago now that we are actually getting a brand new Mac model that has a different name, the Mac Studio. So Rambo, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is quite uh, not unprecedented, but unprecedented in any thing you would call recent times because I was uh, listening to this discussion on Upgrade and they couldn't really come up with what was the last new Mac name because iMac Pro is a variation of iMac. So technically, uh, it's it exists. MacBook, eh, it, still like MacBook was already a name, but Mac Studio is a completely new product for the Mac lineup that we haven't seen before. This name hasn't been used before, at least not that I know of, uh, maybe like in the 80s. I don't know. I don't think so. So <laughs> yeah, I am really excited about this new machine. Even though, uh, spoiler, I I'm not getting it, at least not for now, but I am really excited about this machine. Yeah, me too. I mean, even if it's a machine that I'm not going to get either, I can just be excited about it existing, right? Like, yeah. I'm not one of these people who have to buy everything in order to be excited about it, because, you know, Mac products are quite pricey, and especially, like, <laughs> when we get into this kind of part of the lineup, the Mac Studio and, and also the Mac Pro and the iMac Pro before it, like... These are not uh, like cheap devices, right? Like they oh, yeah. are very expensive. And also you can really spec them up to become uh, a lot more expensive than that even. But even so, like even if I'm not going to get one, I think it's so exciting to see Apple like introduce this new product. Like you said, it's a brand new thing, not just in the name, but also in the actual form factor. Sure, you could say that it's like a bigger Mac mini. You can say that it's a smaller trash can Mac Pro from 2013, but still like, it's a new product, right? Like, this hasn't really existed before. And I feel like the design also is so cool. Like, the way it looks, uh, I haven't, again, seen it in person yet, but it just, yeah, it's a really exciting product, I think. Yeah, when they started the video and they, they've been do they've done this before, I think, where you kind of think it's a round computer. <laughs> so it's almost like, oh, here's a new trash can. Uh, and then, nope, <laughs> I I'm kidding. So yeah, but I, I like the, the round bottom with a bunch of space there for ventilation. And yeah, the overall design just looks really great. And it looks like something that won't end up in a thermal corner because uh, it looks like they've made it with extra space than they actually need, probably already thinking about the future. Yeah, and this is also where the power efficiency of Apple Silicon comes in as well, mm -hmm. where since these chips can run, you know, if you compare them to Intel, it, they run so much cooler. Uh, that also means that you can have this more kind of compact form factor without running into those thermal corners, hopefully, right? Yeah. Uh, it looks very cool. And also the way like it takes in air at the bottom through those vents and then outputs it at the back with those like big fans there. It just seems like a really cool design also from the internals. Uh, I also thought it was really interesting to see the port placement where we have two USB ports on the front along with an SD card reader, which just seems like a really smart choice for people who, for example, are photographers and they come in from a photo session and they want to start editing. They can just plug that SD card right into the front instead of having to like reach towards the back, right? And the same thing with the USB ports, like you can plug in, if you're doing iOS development, you could plug in your testing device in the front port and then easily like plug it out and, and change the devices that way. 
So that seems really smart to me. And also that the fact that we also have four USB-C ports on the back, it means that there are six USB-C ports in total, along with USB-A ports and Ethernet and all sorts of stuff. So it seems like it's also got the port story covered as well. Yeah, that's really nice. And it's something I missed with the M1 Mac Mini that I still have here, although now I mainly use my 14-inch uh, MacBook Pro, is the presence of ports in the front. And I feel like that's still uh, inherited from the era where, oh, it has to be absolutely clean and pristine, so no holes in the front. What are you thinking? That would look ugly. Uh, maybe, but I want my parts, so <laughs> just give them to me. And I actually, for my Mac Mini, uh, pretty soon after I got it, I got a little dock thingy that plugs into one of its USB-C ports and it goes below the Mac Mini. Uh, it has like the same finish of the Mac Mini and it has a bunch of USB-A ports and an SD card slot in the front so that I have these parts accessible from the front because yeah, like you mentioned, you want to plug in your iPhone to run some app on it or to, to uh, debug or just recharge. You want to flash your Raspberry Pi with a new SD card. You want to yeah do whatever. It's so convenient to have this availability of parts in the front of the machine. So I really love that they put them in there. Yeah, and uh, game consoles have been doing this for a while as well. Like if you look at the Nintendo Switch dock or the Xbox Series X, you have ports on the front as well where you can just easily plug in your controller for charging. And it's the same kind of philosophy, right? Like the things that you want to be easily accessible, things you have to do often, like the peripherals you have to plug in often, they should be easy to plug in, right? Like yeah. that's a good design choice, I think. And I'm also happy to see Apple make compromises here. And I feel like we're reaching now this era of Apple hardware design that is just really nice where they still have beautiful designs. Like I think this looks amazing, this, this new uh, Mac Studio, but they're so much more practical. Like we talked about it with the MacBook Pro, like it's a little bit more bulky, it's a little bit more just simple in its design, but it's really elegant and it just works. Like it just has all the ports you need and it feels like the same thing is happening here as well. So I'm just very happy to see Apple going in this direction where it's not like, let's get rid of all the ports, but rather how can we make the port placement practical while still making the design look good? Well, it's uh, the old saying, design is not how it looks, but it's how it works. <laughs> exactly. And what's interesting here, during the Mac Studio announcement and also when they talked about the uh, M1 Ultra, they made a lot of comparisons to the 27-inch iMac as well as to the Mac Pro. And it seems like, at least based on Apple's numbers and what they talked about in the presentation, the uh, Ultra chip and the Mac Studio are going to be really, really fast. And it was also interesting to see all of those comparisons to the 27-inch iMac. It kind of feels like this is going to be Apple's replacement for that larger iMac and for the iMac Pro. Whereas like if you are in a more kind of professional setting or you want really good performance and you want that big screen, well, Apple's answer to that now will be get a Mac Studio and get a Mac Studio display. And if you are maybe on the more kind of lower end of that spectrum and you don't need the maximum amount of performance, but you still want an Apple display, well, you could combine the Mac Studio display with a Mac Mini, for example, and still get a get a good experience. So what do you think about that? Do you feel like this is also kind of their strategy going forward? Or what do you think? Yeah, I am not sure if they are going to introduce a new pro-level iMac. Not, not necessarily an iMac that's called the iMac Pro, but uh, an iMac with a bigger display and uh, a variant of 
M whatever, that's not the baseline, but it's the Pro, the Max, whatever. Uh, and I think the Mac Studio fills that uh, hole in the lineup quite well. And I think it's 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 the Mac prosumer, right? It's the Mac Pro, and I'm making air quotes here, for people who don't need an actual Mac Pro. Even though in its maximum configuration now, it's technically faster than the actual Mac Pro. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're in this uh, weird transitional period. But there's always been in the lineup these uh, machines, these Macs that are not called Pro. They're not necessarily made for professionals in, in the sense that Apple calls professionals. But they were perfectly fit for it. And I think the Mac Studio feels that hole in the lineup really well. So I think if they're planning on announcing bigger iMacs or, or iMacs with more powerful processors, I think that would definitely not be this year. Uh, I feel like this year we're going to see the entry-level Macs uh, maybe redesigned, maybe with M2 and, and the actual Mac Pro, but bigger iMac... I'm not so sure. I, I I don't think we're gonna see that this year necessarily, and I'm not even sure that's uh, needed. I do know that a lot of people prefer the all-in-one setup, but yeah, tough luck. I, I at least for now. Yeah, I, it really feels like this is going to be their strategy going forward. Is that you can either combine a Mac Mini, a Mac Studio, or a Mac Pro with a Mac Studio display, and that's kind of your answer to you know if you want a 27-inch screen from Apple and a powerful computer. And it's pretty cool then because you could switch the computers, right? Like you can go from those three alternatives that are all really great. Like I'm still doing a lot of development work on my Mac mini and it works great for that. And I have the MacBook Pro, which is more kind of performance wise to a entry-level Mac studio. And that works great as well. And then of course, if you have really high-end needs and you want that kind of more modular computing setup, then the Mac Pro, which is coming later, will presumably fulfill those needs. So I feel like with this kind of setup, they have a very nice kind of scalable uh, offering for customers, like a nice lineup where you can kind of pick which level you want to go in and you can either pair it with a third-party display like I have or you can use an Apple display. Like it's, I feel like even though I know, just like you said, there are people who really prefer the all-in-one form factor and that still exists with the 24-inch iMac, the, the setup they have now is more flexible, kind of generally speaking, I feel like. Yeah, I, I I think they're doing exactly what I think they should be doing and what I mentioned I think they will do, which is put every Mac in its place. So the MacBook Pro is Pro. So we have the... the Not to mention the 13-inch. I, I don't think the 13-inch is going to stick around. I think that's going to be renamed, redesigned, etc. But putting every Mac in its place. So the iMac is the consumer all-in-one desktop Mac that has to be thin and beautiful and uh, have a certain price point and all of that good stuff. That's the iMac. The MacBook Air is the ultra-portable Mac for consumers who want to use an iMac, uh, a MacBook Air for general usage. The MacBook Pro is for pros, developers, people who want to edit video on the field, the Mac Studio is the prosumer Mac, the desktop prosumer Mac that people who want a little bit more than they can get from the iMac, or, I mean, a lot more than they can get from the iMac, uh, and want this uh, more flexible setup, like you mentioned. And the Mac Pro is what it is. 
So I, I feel like this is a great lineup for the Mac, and every Mac is in its place. I still think we're going to see a redesign of the MacBook Air to be more in line with the place that it fits in the lineup, just like the iMac got. And maybe they'll do something with the 13-inch MacBook Pro, which I don't think should be called MacBook Pro anymore, and I hope Apple changes that. But yeah, overall, I'm, I'm really excited about this, this lineup and the things that are still to be released. Yeah, absolutely. Like I mentioned earlier in the show, like it's a really exciting time to be a Mac user. Like it's, oh, yeah. There's so many options to pick from now, and they're all good options. Like If someone goes and buys a Mac Mini today, sure, the chip is now one and a half years old, but it's still a great computer. So yeah, just a great position Apple is in here with the Mac. And what a turnaround compared to just from a few years ago, where it's like, the Mac is doomed. They're just going to remove the Mac and just have iPads. Like That was the narrative back then. And now it's like completely changed, which I'm very happy to see. Absolutely. But now let's talk about the Mac Studio display then. The last announcement uh, from the event, which is something a lot of people have been waiting for for quite a while. Of course, there was the Apple XDR Pro super expensive display introduced a while back. But now we have a new display that is a 27-inch 5K display at a price that I feel like is more accessible to, uh, to more people. Of course, it's not cheap, right? This is not a Definitely cheap display. Not. Um, not at all. And I think that's, you know, Apple doesn't really do that kind of products anymore. Like, apart from maybe the iPhone SE and the entry-level iPad, which we can talk about, whether or not we like that and so on. But... This is the display. Uh, it has an A13 Bionic chip inside of it to run the camera and audio systems, which it has. It has center stage, like we talked about earlier, the same 12 megapixel ultra wide camera. It has six speakers with spatial audio and Dolby Atmos. Like, how cool isn't that? It's like my display has Dolby Atmos. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is a pretty wild thing. Uh, also great connectivity, I feel like, with the USB-C ports, three of them, and then one Thunderbolt port that you can use to connect to your MacBook Pro, your Mac Studio, or whatever you want to connect to this display. And then there is a bunch of different stand options. Stand is not sold separately, Rambo. So oh. the stand is included. Uh, the standard stand is a little bit more limited. You can only tilt it, I think it's 30 degrees. Uh, and then you can also add more money to get a more fully flexible stand, or you can have this Visa mount option as well. There's also a nano textured dis display available as well. So this is a pretty big package. Like, there's quite a lot of exciting things in here. Uh, what do you think? Like, what was your reaction when you saw this? I am so freaking happy, John. Yes, finally. This is my display. Uh, well, it's going to be by the end of the month because <laughs> I ordered one, of course. Um, I'm slightly... Uh, I wouldn't even say disappointed. Uh, I wished they could deliver an external display with promotion because, like I mentioned, I really like promotion on the Mac. But being honest with myself, I've used Macs without promotion for many, 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 many years, and I was totally fine with that. So I'm going to be perfectly happy with this display. Uh, I think I've uh, I've seen uh, people talking about it. It's basically the 27-inch or the 5K iMac display. Like, it's basically an iMac without a Mac. <laughs> and that's what everyone was talking about, right? That's exactly. what everyone was saying that we want. So we got it. Yeah, it's exactly what I said multiple times in this show. Like, just make an iMac without a Mac. And they went beyond that. Uh, the Yeah, the, the panel is basically that one, but there's this... I think it's beautiful, like I really like the design, and 
uh, it's to the point where I was looking at my task here um, uh, yesterday after I decided to order the display and I was thinking, hmm, I'm going to need to get my desk a little bit more tidy because this display deserves that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want it to look like those product shots where there's like beautiful wooden desk, like some little plant in the corner, some nice lamp, and then just the display and a keyboard. Yeah, I, I really want it to, to look really nice. And uh, so I ordered the studio display w without any of the bells and whistles. It's the, the basic one with the, the standard stand. Uh, I, I've used an iMac for several years with a fixed stand that you can't move up or down. And I was fine with that. And I, I think I'm going to be perfectly fine with this one as well. I have a standing desk. I can probably adjust things to... to to be comfortable with this display. Worst case scenario, I put like uh, some books under it or something. <laughs> yeah, good uh, use for a dictionary. Yeah, so, or, or the, the yellow pages. Uh, so yeah, I I got that one. I'm very happy. I'm going to be using it with, with my MacBook Pro, the 14-inch MacBook Pro. I was a fully laptop person for a long time, but now that I went back to it because of the ProMotion mini LED display... I am feeling the effects on my body of using a laptop. I actually got a stand for it, but it hasn't arrived yet. Probably going to be using that for ventilation. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't be happier. Maybe I'll also get one of those new uh, Magic Keyboards that they release, like the new color of Magic Keyboards with uh, like the Mac Pro colors and the full keyboard with Touch ID. Maybe I'll get that one, but... Yeah, super, super happy with this announcement. And props to our friends at 9to5Mac for getting this one completely right because I think it was a few months ago that Felipe uh, posted something about Apple working on a display with an A13 chip inside and, and people were like, what? Are you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. I think like this display checks so many boxes. Like for... This kind of audience that wants an Apple-made display with uh, all of the nice things that come with it, the design, you know, the speakers, like we mentioned, with Dolby Atmos, the connectivity, and so on. Like, it ticks so many of the boxes. And I think the only thing that I've seen people complain about or be disappointed by is the lack of promotion, like you mentioned. But I don't think it even exists on the market at all a 5K display that can run at 120 hertz. I'm not sure if it's even possible to do that over Thunderbolt uh, in terms of the bandwidth, because yeah. I have a 120 hertz TV, the LG C10, but it's 4K. It's not 5K, right? Yeah. And I think that's important to remember here is that I don't think this technology really exists. I mean, I'm sure someone has it in a lab. I'm sure Apple has it in the <laughs> lab as well. But mainstream, like, you know, uh, being able to manufacture that at scale, I don't think that really exists at this point. And of course, Apple sometimes does something that is beyond that. Look at the XDR ProMotion Super Display, right? That is definitely not a mainstream display, but it also doesn't have a mainstream price. And I think that's also important here is that if you wanted... Uh, 120 hertz, like 5K with all of these things, the price would also significantly go up. And I think the price is already, you know, not something that most mainstream users would want to spend on a display and that would just push it even further up. So I feel like they kind of struck a nice balance here. Yeah, you cannot get a display with 
this set of features on the market. Like, there isn't one. And as much as uh, we make fun of things like this, and I'm making fun of myself here, but I like nice things, John. And I look at this LG display on my desk here, and it's ugly. I don't like <laughs> it. And it wobbles around if, if I uh, bump my desk or, or something. It doesn't have a center stage camera doesn't have all of the nice ports and, and, and extension ports that this one will have. Doesn't fast charge my 14-inch MacBook Pro, which the studio display will. So it's just a better product. And it's one of those things where, oh, but it, do you want to pay all of that just to get like a center stage camera or a better camera? Um, yeah, I want. <laughs> but when you put all of that stuff together, it's it's kind of like AirPods. When you are an Apple customer, AirPods are the best headphones you can get or earphones or whatever because of all the integration, the nice stuff. So, yeah, I when I saw the price, I actually said to you, okay, I can pay that. So <laughs> I, I ordered one and, yeah, I can't wait for it to get here. I'm, I'm really excited about this product. And I know many people are really happy that they've released this. It's interesting to think now what's going to happen with Apple's display lineup. I feel like this is not the end of... Well, this is definitely not the end of the story. On an infinite timescale, <laughs> they'll definitely release more displays. But I'm thinking, like, I kind of feel like the Pro Display XDR was a one-and-done kind of deal. Like, I feel like the studio display is going to become a lineup and the Pro Display XDR is not going to stick around. So maybe, I don't know, next year they announced the Studio Display XDR and it has mini LED and promotion, if that's even feasible. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is probably something they can iterate on and something that is way more, I think, appealing. Of course, the XDR solves a concrete problem for people who do that kind of like video or photo editing that requires that kind of reference display type of product. But that's a small percent of the market, right? If you compare it. And, yeah. you know, you mentioned there that you are happy to spend this extra money on this display because it looks nicer, it has a, a lot of nice features, and it integrates well with the products you already have. And I think that's a good reason. And it's also one of those things we have to remember, like, there are very few people, I feel like, who actually need this display. So if you are not willing or able or you you don't like feel like this is a product that you want to spend this amount of money on, then there are other options available. For example, I have a third-party display. I have a Samsung display, which I bought like eight years ago or something. And I'm actually not planning to buy this Mac Studio display, at least not right now, because I'm pretty happy with this display that I have. It's I'm It works really well. And also the fact that it still supports... Uh, True Tone, thanks to the camera or sensors on my MacBook Pro that I've connected to it, it just gave it this extra life for me. Like, it feels like my display got upgraded just because I got a new Mac. Uh, I might still get this one eventually in the future, but, you know, I am kind of deciding whether or not I feel it's worth it to to buy this product and whether or not I think I will get the value out of it that uh, the, the price would kind of warrant because I'm perfectly happy with my current display. And I think that's also important to remember, like, 
just because Apple announces something doesn't mean that, you know, you have to rush out and buy a day one, even though if you want to, then great. Like, that's fantastic. I'm happy for everyone who has, who has ordered one. But I just wanted to mention that because I know that a lot of people get like FOMO, like fear of missing out when they watch these <laughs> Apple events and they feel like you have to buy it because how can you be a real iOS developer if you don't have a Mac Studio display? Well, you totally can. <laughs> you can be a real iOS developer no matter what hardware you're using. So it all depends on... What are your priorities? What do you want to spend your money on? And what do you think will give you the most value? And everyone will make different equations there. Yeah, it's a, also like a business expense for me. <laughs> and uh, in order to fulfill that, uh, it, it has to, quote, pay for itself in a sense. Uh, of course, I'm not going to be paid for using the studio display directly, but... Yeah, I think about how many hours I'm going to spend in front of this display and how much I I will make by selling the software that I sell that I'm going to be using this display as part of my workflow. And I do the math and for me, it works. And of course, it doesn't have to work that way. That's a personal thing that I do or a professional thing that I do, I guess. But yeah, in my case, I did the math and it pays for itself. So it was pretty much a no-brainer for me, but it's not going to be the same for everyone. And uh, as a final note here, how funny is it that this display has a better chip than the 4K Apple TV? So the, <laughs> the Apple TV 4K has the A12 and this one has an A13 in it. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Maybe you can jailbreak the display to be able to run games on it, like just the display or or just like run iOS on it, right? Like it's a big iPad. <laughs> no, you have to run Doom, John. That's why you run. Right, of course, of course. Can it run Doom? And then can <laughs> it run Crisis? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think we're going to talk a lot more about these products uh, as you get the display, as other people get the Mac Studio, as we learn more about these things, and of course with the continued rollout of Apple Silicon and how that affects us as developers and how we can make our software really work well in them. We're going to definitely talk a lot more about that in the future, but I think this is going to do it for this initial reactions of Apple's peak performance event Hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks so much for listening. Thanks also a lot to our two sponsors for this episode, A-Logic and Kanji. And we will talk to you again next week. So say goodbye, Mr. Rambo. Goodbye. <laughs>